Well, friends, if you were to think back on your lifetime, how many times can you remember being literally stunned by the news of the day? Maybe it was a breaking story that came over the radio, or maybe you were watching television and the show you were watching was interrupted and the newscaster came on and said, we have to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming. Or maybe it was a phone call from a friend urgently asking if you had heard the news. I I was thinking back this week over three times in my life when I can vividly remember literally being stunned and transfixed by the breaking news of the day. The, the, the earliest experience I can have uh, a memory of where I was just in awe by what I was seeing in front of me on the TV screen was when I was 11 years old. I was homesick from school that day, and I was watching on the television on January 28, 1986, the launch of the space shuttle Challenger. Kids in that era had been anxiously looking forward to that space shuttle launch as there was a public school teacher on board named Krista McAuliffe. And kids were excited to see this teacher sharing lessons from space. And as I sat there watching the shuttle launch that day in excitement, suddenly my excitement turned into shock as so many of us saw, tragically, seven astronauts die in the explosion of the Challenger. The the second memory I have of the news of the day capturing my attention came just a few years later, December twenty second, 1989, with the fall of the Berlin Wall. Many of you will remember watching the TV over those two, three days as that monumental historic event signaled the end of over 40 years of Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. It was as if history had experienced this monumental shift. You know, for a kid like me who grew up in the 1970s and 80s in an era, you may remember when you literally had nuclear blast drills at school, hiding under your desks or running down to the locker rooms in the basement of the school. That was a huge, huge event. I remember watching for two days with my dad as the news unfolded. And then about over 10 years later, many of us here will never forget what took place on September 11, 2001, and the tragic attacks when 19 al-Qaeda terrorists launched four separate attacks against the United States and over 2,900 Americans were killed on that tragic day. And in all these situations, I remember being transfixed by the news I was watching. You know, friends, it's fascinating if we were to think this afternoon about all of the times in our lives, all of the monumental events that we've lived through, events that would be forever impressed on our memories, events that would dramatically shape our lives from that day forward. And friends, this evening as we reflect back on that very first Christmas night, you have to believe that the shepherds of the Christmas story were forever marked by the wondrous news they heard on that remarkable day when Jesus was born. It must have been news that captured their attention, that forever was impressed on their minds 
that forever changed their lives. This afternoon, I'd like to read for us the Christmas story as recorded by Luke in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Luke gives us an account of what took place on that wondrous day when Jesus Christ was born. I want us to focus in particular on the message of the angels that day, the song that the angels sang to the shepherds on that very first Christmas. Let me read the story for you. You can follow along on the screens behind me if you like or in your own Bibles. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the story of the very first Christmas. And friends, tonight as we think about this very first Christmas, I'd like us to spend some time this evening reflecting on the song of the angels. That, that very first message, that very first announcement to the shepherds that the Messiah had come. I, I want us to think for a few minutes this evening about what kind of news the angels brought the shepherds that very first Christmas. See, Luke tells us very interestingly that there were five key features of the news that the angels declared to the shepherds on that first Christmas night. What kind of news did they bring? Number one, the angels, according to Luke, brought good news of great joy. In verse 10, the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Now friends, as we all know, not all news is good news. 
There's bad news. And there's mixed news. How often have you heard, I've got some good news and some bad news. What do you want first? But friends, you better believe when an army of heavenly angels appears to you, you sure better hope it's good news. (laughs) And fortunately for those shepherds, the news that God sent on that first Christmas was good news. Good news of great joy. And oh, how God's people needed some good news 2,000 years ago. Author Randy Alcorn shares a bit of the background of what was taking place in this day in the place, in the people of Israel, the country of Israel. God sent Jesus at the perfect time for Israel. The hand of Rome was heavy on the Jewish people, and life under an emperor who claimed to be God was particularly oppressive. The people were equally burdened by stern requirements placed on them by the religious leaders. Many Pharisees were obsessed with the law and emphasized self-righteous works over God's grace. This was the weary and hopeless world into which God brought good news of great joy. Friends, isn't it interesting how it was the human institutions of government and religion that left the people of Jesus' day weary and hopeless, longing for good news? You know, not a lot's changed in the last 2,000 years. We live in a world still weary and hopeless by the institutions of government and religion. Here in our own country, we live today in a nation that is politically fractured, a nation with leaders who, like the Caesars of Rome, seem bent on pursuing their own selfish interests. We have a culture spiraling downward in immorality, What once used to shock us is now commonplace. We think of what's going on around the world with billions of people caught up in man-made religious systems, trying to earn their way to God through religious works and rituals, trying to prove their worth to God through their good works, their, their efforts, their money, their sacrifices. That's what religion is, friends. But you see, the problem with religion is how do you know you're ever doing enough? How do you know you've given enough or sacrificed enough or been good enough? That was the problem with religion 2,000 years ago, and that's still the problem today. And just like God's people 2,000 years ago, our world still finds itself needing good news this Christmas. Secondly, the angels didn't just bring good news of great joy, but we also see here in Luke chapter 2 that they brought news that was for all people. News for all people. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, friends, this is significant this evening. Understand here tonight that the message of Christianity is not an exclusive message. It's a message that's offered freely to everyone. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. In other words, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter where you're from, or no matter what you've ever done, 
Christmas is a declaration of good news for all people. It's very interesting that it was shepherds who were the first recipients of this good news of great joy. See, that wasn't by accident, friends. God delivered the first news of Christmas to shepherds because he had a very intentional purpose in mind. You see, shepherds in that day and age 2,000 years ago were considered the lowest of the low in Israelite culture. They were considered outcasts. They, they were considered servants who were outsiders and unclean and not fit to come into the cities and especially unfit to come into the presence of the temple in Jerusalem. And for all of these reasons, they were despised by the average people in Israelite society. And friends, isn't it interesting that God shows these outsiders, these outcasts, these despised ones to be the first recipients of the message of Christmas. It's almost as if God wanted us to know that his good news was for all people. And here he brought this message to the shepherds. They were the first recipients of this good news because in that choice, God was declaring to everyone that the message of Christmas applies to all of us. On your worship guide this evening, on the back side, you'll see an announcement for our sixth annual apologetics conference here at Lakes Free coming up in February, February 21st through 22nd. I'm really excited about this conference. A friend of mine, Dr. Christopher Yuan, is going to be our featured speaker this year. He has an incredible testimony, a true prodigal son story. Christopher Yuan was a person who in his younger years was steeped in sexual sin. He was ravaged by homosexual lust. He became a drug dealer in Chicago and Atlanta in order to fund his immoral lifestyle. He was ultimately arrested by the federal government and charged with possession of over a ton of drugs, sent to federal prison. It was there in federal prison that he discovered he was HIV positive. Dr. Yuan says at this point in his life, he would have described himself as a person that most of the world would have just thrown away as trash. His life was meaningless and worthless. But it was interesting as he shares his testimony. You can hear it in February. One day as he was in prison, he was walking through the lunch area and he looked in the trash can and he saw something that caught his attention. And he went over and he picked it up and he discovered it was a Gideon New Testament Bible. Christopher took that New Testament back to his prison cell. And he began to read through the message of the New Testament. And he began to read the message of good news, the message of Christmas, the message of good news, of great joy that's for all the people. I'd invite you to come and join us in February to hear Christopher's powerful testimony for yourself. What was that good news that ultimately transformed his life forever? What is that good news that has the opportunity to transform all of our lives? 
no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your background. What is the good news of great joy that was announced on that first Christmas? Well, thirdly, the angels tell us it was news of a Savior. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior is born. Now, friends, I want you to notice what this assumes. If a Savior has been given to us, what should that tell us about our situation? What should we infer from that reality? Friends, if a Savior has been given to us, it infers or we can deduce that we need saving. Why else would a Savior be given if we didn't need saving? Now you might be thinking to yourself tonight, well, why do we need saving? What do we need saving from? What was this Savior sent for? And friends, the reason why God sent a Savior is because you and I each have a fundamental problem. The Bible describes it like this in Romans 3.23. The Apostle Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our basic human problem, friends. Every single one of us. You, me, there's no one here who's immune to it. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, understand sin is simply rebellion against our creator God. It's choosing to do life our way on our terms instead of following his will and his plans for our lives. And how often do each of us choose to go our way versus God's? I think we all know in our hearts that we're all very guilty. And see, this is why that's a problem. Because God is glorious. God is holy. He is righteous. And all that means, friends, is that God is morally pure, and he is perfect, and he knows no sin. But you and I, friends, we are all sinners. The prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, he says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You might be thinking to yourself, man, Jason, you're making it sound like I'm a really bad person. Friends, we are in desperate trouble. You need to understand that tonight. You might think, man, I think I'm a pretty good guy or, you know, I'm not so bad, but here's the deal. You are judging yourself based on your standards and not God's. See, God's standard is holiness, it's perfection, it's righteousness. And when we hold ourselves up to his standard, all of us fall woefully short. We have all lied. We have all taken the Lord's name in vain. We have all stolen. We have all committed lust in our hearts. We have all committed hatred in our hearts. All of these things that God says are against his will for our lives. We're guilty of. We have a fundamental problem. Now, we try to hide that reality. We try to mask that reality. We try to cover over that reality as best we can. We're we're sort of like my Christmas tree at home, right? 
We, we, we set up these Christmas trees in our living rooms, our family rooms, and we decorate the tree, and we put lights on it, and we put a star on top, and we make them look all pretty. But friends, that Christmas tree has a fundamental problem. No matter how pretty your Christmas tree is, what is its problem? It's dying. It's dying. Why? Because it's been cut off from its roots. It's source of life. And that's our problem, friends. Our sin and rebellion against God has cut us off from our source of life, from the roots that sustain us, a life-giving relationship with our Creator God. And so we need a Savior. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6.23 says that while the wages of our sin or the payment or penalty for our sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, that's the hope of Christmas. A Savior has been given. How did this gift of Christmas transpire? Well, the Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 and 24, he says this about Jesus. Jesus committed no sin. He was perfect. He was God in human flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to God, to him who judges justly. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, friends, Jesus took our sin upon himself. He paid the penalty that we all deserve to pay. He bore our sin. He took our guilt and shame. He nailed it to a cross so that we could be washed and cleansed and forgiven of our sins and restored into a perfect relationship with our Creator God. Friends, we need a Savior. And the angels announced on that very first Christmas, a Savior has been born. But fourthly, they announced news of fulfilled promises. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, friends, that name is significant. Contrary to popular opinion in our culture today, Jesus' last name is not Christ. Christ is a title, friends. Christ is a title. In the Greek, the word is Christos, and it means anointed one. It's the equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah, which also means anointed one. Jesus, the Savior, was the Christ, the anointed one. And what that means is that he was chosen and set apart by God for special service. If you were with us on Sunday morning, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, where the apostle Peter tells us that God had anointed Jesus, set him apart to be the savior of the world before the foundation of the world. Before he even created this world, God set a plan in motion to provide Jesus as the savior. And we looked at numerous other passages that repeat over and over again, before the ages, before the ages, before time began, God had a plan in mind. 
And in over 300 Old Testament prophecies and allusions, God promised the people of Israel that a Messiah, an anointed one, was coming. Genesis 3.15, God prophesied that the Messiah would be of the human race from the seed of a woman. And Jesus fulfilled that prophecy in that he was the only person in history not conceived through the seed of a man. In Genesis 12, God promised Abraham roughly 2,200 years before the birth of Jesus that he would make his descendants into a great nation and that through him all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And Jesus fulfilled this prophecy as the Jewish Messiah who would bring salvation for all the world. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel prophesied that King David, through his line, this prophecy a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, he says, David, your throne and kingdom will be established forever. And Jesus came in the line of David and became the King of Kings. And the Lord of lords who will reign forever. In Isaiah 7.14, God prophesied roughly 700 years before the birth of Christ through the prophet Isaiah that the Messiah would be born of a virgin and would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And Jesus fulfilled this prophecy as God come in flesh, born of a virgin. In Micah 5.2, roughly 700 years before the birth of Christ, God prophesied that the Messiah would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem, fulfilling this prophecy. Friends, over and over and over again, we see the fulfillment of God's prophetic plan for the anointed one in the person of Jesus Christ. See, the angel's song tells us that God had fulfilled all of these promises. His anointed one had come. The baby born in Bethlehem that day on that very first Christmas was God's planned Savior. This is why the noted scholar C.S. Lewis decreed, once in our world, a stable held something in it that was bigger than our whole world. That little baby boy born on that first Christmas day was the creator of the universe, God's anointed Savior from the beginning of time, the means of our reconciliation with God. But lastly, today, on this Christmas Eve afternoon, the angel's song brings us news that demands a decision. In verse 14, the angels join in the chorus, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now this wording might sound a bit strange to you. Typically, we're used to hearing the words of the angels as peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But friends, you need to understand that that is not the true message of Scripture. That's that's a hallmark version of the angel's announcement. The angels don't say peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That line was written by the American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in his famous poem Christmas Bells in 1863. And that line has been repeated on Christmas cards and wrapping paper for over a 100 years. But what did the angels truly declare? They declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
Other translations say peace on those whom his favor rests. Now, friends, this last statement should give us pause this evening. It's a statement that should compel each of us to reflect on the most important question of Christmas. Am I a part of that group? Am I included this evening in those with whom God is pleased? Does God's favor rest on me today? See, friends, there's no more important question that any of us could consider this afternoon. Because, you see, not everyone is in that category. There are those with whom God isn't pleased. They don't have his favor. And why? It's because they've never truly received God's gift of a Savior. See, the gift's been given, but many people fail to receive that gift. Let let me share an illustration with you. If I had sent a Christmas gift to you, and earlier this afternoon the FedEx truck delivered it to your house, but you left that gift sitting on your front porch... You consciously chose not to go and receive that gift. Let me ask you a question. Has a gift been given? Yes. But have you truly received that gift? No. And not only haven't you truly received it, you're not going to get anything out of it, leaving it unopened, sitting on your porch. See, a gift given is one thing, but a gift received is a whole different matter. And so the good news of Christmas demands a decision from each of us. You want to know something? Jesus said the very same thing I'm telling you tonight. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't God's plan but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's only son. Friends, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying the gift has been delivered, but you got to receive it. you got to take it off the porch, and you got to open it. And you got to enjoy the fruit of that gift. The famous Nazi resistor during World War II, Corrie Ten Boom, she once declared, if Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem and not in me, I would still be lost. See, friends, Christmas means nothing if you don't receive that gift. God's given us an incredible gift. The Savior of the world has come the anointed one, the chosen Messiah, God's prophesied plan of bringing reconciliation between he and us, us and him. God's made a way, but you need to receive that gift. The Gospel of John tells us the very same thing. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God you got to receive that gift. God offers it to each of us. That's what Christmas is all about. Friends, there's no other reason why we celebrate Christmas. It's not because of Santa Claus or Rudolph. 
It's all about Jesus. A gift's been given. A way has been made to come back into a right relationship with your Creator God. Don't miss out on receiving that gift. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this afternoon for the message of Christmas. We thank you for the good news that was announced in the angel song on that first Christmas night. The message that unto us has been born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've done in my life, taking a a broken, sinful person like me and transforming my life, changing my heart through your Son, Jesus Christ. You cleansed me of my sin. You made me a new creation. Today I stand here as a child of God, not because of anything I've done, but all because of what you did for me. I know there's hundreds of people in this room tonight who would share that same testimony. But I also know, Lord, there's probably some of us in this room tonight who know the gift's been delivered, but we've never truly received it. And so, Jesus, I just pray that even here tonight, right now, that this Christmas would be the year that each one of us knows the true joy and blessing of receiving the gift of new life through you, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who washes us and cleanses us, and gives us the opportunity to come back into your presence as children of God. Friends, I pray none of us misses out on that amazing gift. It's yours if you'll just receive it by faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We honor you this Christmas for who you are and all you've done for us. In Jesus' name.